This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good to have you today. God bless all of you. We welcome you out today. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, our ushers would get you one. We're going to do a little Facebook today. Pastor's definition of Facebook is we're going to face the book, okay? So get your book out, and once you get the book, go with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 19 is where we begin our 10th week on our series, The Last Hurrah. And so we're getting into a little bit on heaven. So we'll give you little tidbits of heaven the next few weeks. And I want you to all understand this, that every one of us have eternal consequences to all our choices that I make here on earth. And so i got to understand this. I'm either going to live for earthly crowns, the applause of man, or I'm going to live for heavenly crowns, the applause of Father God. And this pertains to every one of us in this room. So this passage here that we're going to start with, Jesus, he informs me and you what's expected of us as believers from the time that he departed from this earth, which you can find in Acts 1, until his return. And so we live in that time frame. That's us right now. And so he'll explain some things that he expects us as believers to do and to to live like. All right, Luke 19, verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain noble man went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. Now, Jesus is going to return, and this is what he's talking about, okay? The day will come when he's going to come back. Verse 13. So he, Jesus, called ten of his servants, delivered them ten minus, and he said to them, Do business till I come. Now, this was Jesus' prescription here. He said, Do business till I come. And so we got to keep that thought in mind with what he means by doing business till he comes. The New Living says, Invest this for me while I'm gone. So a couple questions jump out there. Number one, do business till I come. And number two, he addressed servants. The servants are symbolic of born-again Christians. If you've received Jesus as Lord of your life, he's addressing you and me as servants here, okay? Verse number 13. So he called ten of his servants, delivered them ten minus, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him. And so the citizens were people that were non-believers. So this passage tells me immediately, I'm either going to be a servant or I'm going to be a citizen. He goes on to say in verse 14, And they sent a delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to reign or to rule over us. So right here, these people, by their own choice, they rejected Jesus is what this is talking about. So we keep going, verse 15. And so it was when he returned, and it's going to happen, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, what he's telling us here is the day's going to come and it's going to be judgment day. 
And for all of us as servants, we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account with what we did for the kingdom of God. What did you do to profit his kingdom? This is exactly where he's leading us to. Verse 16. Then came the first saying, Master or Lord, your mind is earned ten minus. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. Well done, good servant. Why did he call him a good servant? Because he took what Jesus had given him and he multiplied that. He did stuff for the kingdom of God. Now, there's some interesting statements in there that we got to highlight. One of the main ones there is he said, because you were faithful in a little, I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. Now, listen real close what he was saying right there. I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. We understand here in this parable that Jesus has come back. So when Jesus comes back to this earth, it's over. All we have time to do is stand before him on judgment day. So the question arises, where is this guy going to be the ruler or the governor over ten cities? In heaven. In heaven. So right there, that statement that Jesus made, he informs me and you, there's going to be some big cities in heaven. And the people on this earth who moved his kingdom forward, who advanced the kingdom of God forward right here on earth, those are going to be the ones that are going to be put into authority over those cities. Maybe you. Maybe me. But each one of us has the opportunity with what we do with our time here on earth. Keep reading. Verse 18. And the second came saying, Master, your mind is earned five minus. Likewise, he said to them, You also be over or in charge of five cities. Then another came. Now, the another here is specifically a servant. Because in verse 15, he delegated things to servants. So this another that he's talking about is another servant. He goes on to say, Then another came saying, Master, here is your mind of which I have kept. I put it away in a handkerchief. So you know what he said? I hid it. I didn't do anything to advance your cause here on earth. And look at Jesus' reply. For I feared you because you're an austere or a hard man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And Jesus said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. Now again, the servants were ones that had made Jesus Lord of their lives. But because this guy lived on this earth and he did absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God, he said to him, you wicked servant. And how did Jesus say that we as the servants would be judged? We would be judged out of the words, out of our own mouth. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to stand before the Lord and we will tell him exactly what we've done on this earth. Keep reading. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at the coming I might have collected it with interest? That's the least you could have done. And he said to those who stood by, take the minor from him, this servant, and give it to him who has ten minus. Now you know what this tells me right here? Jesus is warning us. The day will come where some servants will lose rewards 
and others will gain even more. Why? Because of my choices right here on this earth, the time I lived. Keep reading with me. Verse 25. But they said to him, Master, Lord, he already has ten minus. For I say to you that to everyone is will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be given away from him. So why was Jesus so upset with this one that he called a wicked servant? He did nothing to share his master's interest. He only lived for himself and he did nothing productive on this earth to advance for uh, the cause for heaven. So in saying those things, how do I live? How do you live? Do you do, do you do anything to advance the kingdom of God right here on earth? And this is what he was getting to. Now, he changes gears here in verse 27 and watch how he ends this parable. But bring here those enemies of mine. Who were the enemies of his? Well, we can revert back to verse 14 where he said, Those citizens who hated me, who rejected me. And so here he calls them enemies. And he said, Who did not want me to reign or be king over them and slay them before me. So Jesus right here, he is reflecting to us exactly how it's going to go down on that last day. And there's going to be huge consequences for ones, the ones that denied him as Lord. And so when we come to this last day, it's not going to be a day for auditions to see who get into heaven and hell. Those will already be determined before Jesus comes back, whether you receive Jesus or you reject him. So on that judgment day, it's going to be a great day of rewards or it's going to be severe consequences. Now, every one of us, we go through life sometimes and some of our choices have big consequences. Some don't have hardly any consequences. So I'm going to take you back into history, way back, way, way, way back. I'm an eighth grader in junior high. It's on a Monday, true story. And I'm in fourth period English class, and the teacher comes in and says, Now listen, on Friday we're having the spelling bee. He said, I need one of you to represent our class in the spelling bee. And he said, Who's going to do that? No volunteers. None. So he thinks he's going to motivate us a little, and he said, Whoever will stand up in the spelling bee and represent our class, I'm going to give you a 100 points of extra credit. Who wants to do it? There were zero takers, except this guy. I raised my hands, and my friends in the class looked and said, Dude, you, you can't even spell your name, let alone. I really needed 100 points of extra credit. So throughout the week, every, every hallway I'd go up and down in other classes, I would see ones that were in the spelling bee, and they had their books, man, and they were out all day long studying. You know what this guy did to get ready for the spelling bee? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I had one purpose in mind. All I needed was those 100 points. So I remember clearly up there on the stage and looking out, and I thought, this is going to be good. And I don't remember the word I had to spell. But after I spelled it, the judge looked at me and goes, out. Out. And I walked off the platform, and you know what? There wasn't any huge consequences. I got the hundred. Well, I kind of did. There's another story to that. And so 
I left, but there wasn't any severe consequences. And I think a lot of times we go through life that way, and we kind of look at heaven that way, that ah, it's going to be nothing like hard or consequences. It's either going to be really, really good or it's going to be really, really bad. Now, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning to Matthew 6, I want to highlight Jesus' words that we just read. Do business till I can. Do business till I come. And I don't believe anywhere in there he's saying, just go to work, get your job, make a paycheck. And live happily ever after. I don't believe that was what he was talking about. Because when we study the scriptures, Jesus told the two brothers, Andrew and and Peter, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said to the disciples, go and make disciples out of people. Not just get them born again. Get them to be people that will live for the kingdom of God. And so with those thoughts that Jesus himself talked about, do I do anything? As a fisher of men? Do I do anything that helps someone to become a disciple of Christ? Because he said do business till I come. And so where I believe the church has missed it as a whole. We spend all our time fighting over theological issues. We have the thought, well I'm of this faith or I'm of that faith. And we talk about stuff like, well are you pre-tribulation? Are you post-tribulation? I'm paying tribulation. It's all going to pan out in the end. I can't change what's going to happen in time. And then we spend time on who's the Antichrist. Well, well, number one, what difference does it make? I'm not going to choose who he is. And number two, there's a lot of good candidates right now. How about this? We talk about stuff, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back. 89 reasons Jesus is going to come back. Well, to me, it's stupid to even argue about those things because the Lord Jesus said, no one knows that day. Not even the angels. So again, why don't we get back to business that Jesus wanted us to be in? Why don't we just become witnesses and live for him and be fishers of men? And so this was Jesus' heartbeat. Be, Be fishers of men or do business till I come. Now, here in Matthew 6, I'm going to start in verse 9. And you'll recognize this real quick, that it's it's referenced as the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to read a little bit of it today. Verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father. Our Father. My Father. Your Father. Anybody that's born again, our Father. And when I I read that, you realize how personal Father God wants us to be. He wants us to come before Him. And many times we have a view of Father God being similar to an earthly father that may have not treated you fairly. And maybe you've had a great father. But again, the song we sing, He's a good, good father. My father. He wants it to be personal. My Father, in heaven. In heaven. And when I read that, in heaven, if I believe that God is my Father, then i got to believe in heaven also. And heaven's a real place. 
It's not a, a state of mind. It's not a fairy tale. It's a real place. And I don't know if they still do this or not. But years ago when you'd buy a cup of coffee at, at Starbucks. Four bucks. You pay a dollar for the coffee and you'd pay three dollars for the cup. And on the sides of your coffee cup, it would have these words of usually philosophies, what men thought. And I remember years ago, there was a guy who wrote for the LA Times named Joel Stein. And Joel wrote about heaven and he said, heaven is overrated. It's a boring place. It's a place the only music is going to be harp music. That's what this guy said. And when I read that that day, I looked at the cup and I remember thinking, you're an idiot. Forgive me for that. It's the truth. That's what I said. And again, I, I get tired of how people want to try to market God and market heaven when they don't have a clue. Heaven's not going to be boring. Heaven is not overrated. Heaven is going to be a great, great place. That I believe none of us can even really grasp. And so even throughout the day, I'm going to give you little tidbits where you begin to understand heaven. But he said, my father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed. That word means honor. That word means just how to reverence him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's just not talking about the establishment of heaven in the age to come. He's talking about purpose right here on this earth. And so again, when you look at this right here, heaven's real. It's a real place. And we've got to study the scriptures on this. Now, same chapter Jump with me down to verse 19, and the subtitle above my, my Bible says, Lay up treasures in heaven. Now listen to what he gets in here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said they're subject to ruin. They're subject to be burned. They're, they're subject to theft. Actually, he's telling me that the things of this earth, all they can do is depreciate. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither gold, moth, nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal them. And he said, guess what? The treasures in heaven, they can't be touched. And actually, they're appreciating. Now, what's interesting in this passage right here. There's two options, and I like to say there's two portfolios. You're either investing everything you got right now in this place called earth, or you're investing for eternity in heaven. Again, when I talk about investing in heaven, the only thing that earth from earth that will go to heaven is people. Is people. And so literally when I see what he's talking about here, my earth, he's saying invest in people and do everything you can to get them to heaven. However, that's going to look. And he ends in verse 21 and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, Jesus wasn't against materialism. He wasn't against people being blessed. But what he was against was when we become selfish 
And we allow the things of this world to hold us right here. And many times this verse is read backwards where people will say, well, you know, where your heart is is where your treasure is. No, he said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So if you want to find out where your heart is right now, just look at your treasure. Where are you investing your treasure at right now? And it'll locate you real quick. Is your treasure invested anywhere in heaven right now? And so see, these are words of Jesus. Again, there's significance for every one of us with this. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3. Again, what we treasure the most controls us. You say, where's Ecclesiastes? Well, go, you'll go past the Psalms, the Proverbs, and then you'll land right there in Ecclesiastes 3. And I'm going to read just one verse in Ecclesiastes 3, and then I'm going to jump to Ecclesiastes 12. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, listen to these thoughts right here. He, Father God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Also, he has put heaven in our hearts. He's, he's put a sense of purpose within our hearts. And what I believe he gets over to here is none of us in this room are going to be satisfied with the things of this world. We have this sense, every one of us, that we're going to be satisfied. And, you know, it's a good thing to go on a vacation. You think, man, I'm looking forward to going to this place. I'm going on a week-long cruise. It's going to be so awesome. But guess what happens? It ends. And then life comes back at you. And you say stuff like this, golly, we need another cruise. Well, you just on one a week ago. But what ultimately happens here is nothing can satisfy. And so he says right here, I put eternity, I put heaven in all our hearts. And we have this sense of human beings knowing there's got to be more than just how I'm living. And so when I'm 19 or 20 years old, I'd lived a life of just incredible sin. And I'd looked at ways to make myself happy and I found out none of them did. And I remember one day sitting on, on, a, on a bed and thinking, there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing. There was. Eternity's in my heart, and it's in yours. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is wrote by King David's son, Solomon. Solomon was known as probably the wisest man that ever lived. So you study Solomon's life. The Bible's very clear that he had everything under the sun. So you look, he had livestock. He had farms. He had vineyards. He had swimming pools and lakes, and he had mansions. And he had men servants and maid servants, and why he wanted 750 wives, but he had that many. And he gets to the end of the li- uh, his life, and he realizes it was all vanity. If you read this, this whole book of Ecclesiastes, you find the word vanity mentioned over and over. The word vanity meant useless. It meant no permanent lasting value. And so in Solomon's life, a man who experienced everything that you could imagine, he was bankrupt of anything of real value. 
Look over to Ecclesiastes 12. That's the last chapter there. And I'm going to read the last two verses. And here this guy Solomon's at the end of his life. And so I put myself in his shoes. And I can sit here and think for a minute and say. Man I could have. A vacation once a month. In some of the most beautiful places here on the earth. You could have a big hunting ranch. You could have all the farmland you want. You could have mansions. You could have yachts. You could have jet skis. You could have Harleys. You could have everything imaginable. Now listen to how he ends starting in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Hallowed be thy name. Reverence Father God. And keep His commandments. Do what the word of God tells us to do. And we find out that anytime we obey the things of God. There's always a blessing that goes with obedience. And so this was his prescription. The guy that had everything that he could think. And he said fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. These things would pass away. But his relationship with God was the only thing that would last forever. For God will bring every work, act, or deed into judgment. Not one secret thing, okay? And so we get before Father God. Don't think you're going to look at God and say, that's not fair. No, he tells us right here. Everything we do is going to be judged. Including every secret thing. Oh my goodness. So you know what? We might as well come clean while here on the earth. He knows it all already. Thank God he gives us the the blessing of repentance. Whether good or evil. And so when he's talking here, it's not enough just to know about God. It's not just enough to to read about God. I got to know him and I got to follow him. And and this is what brings the satisfaction to me. Where I realize I'm not just investing for this time right here while I'm on this earth. Go with me to the book of Revelations 2. Revelations chapter 2. And I save this for the end because... Again, I I want you to see biblically some of the descriptions the Bible gives about heaven right here. It's going to bless you. Revelations 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now understand right here, the seven that he was talking about, He wrote to seven different churches. These were real churches, okay? But what happens with these, they are an ongoing application for me and you, okay? And so he's writing to this big church in Ephesus, verse 2. Now let's just put ourselves in here right now. This is the Lord talking to us. I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. And you have found them to be liars. They really live by the word of God, I believe. Verse 2. 
And you have persevered. You have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He commends them. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. What did he mean there? Well, he cross-referenced that into Mark 1 verse 20. And what he was talking about, he said to him, come after me. Go after him. Follow him on a daily basis. And to a degree, you know what I think he's telling this church? That it's very easy to get busy in the church things, but quit following him. Quit seeking him. Quit living for him. And so he goes on to say this in verse 5. Remember therefore from where you've fallen and repent and do the first works. See, I think that's what happens to us a lot of times. We leave our first love. We leave that passion. Did you remember the passion when you first got born again? You were like, oh my gosh, just to come before Jesus. It's incredible. See, he's saying, come back to where you've fallen from. Repent. Do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's saying, you're going to lose your influence. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. (laughs) They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You know what the deeds of the Nicolaitans were? They had this superior status. They thought they were better than everybody else. And they pushed idolatry and immorality. And it's interesting here. He says, you hated their deeds and I hated their deeds. If you note there, he didn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. God doesn't hate people. He loves people. He just didn't like the deeds they were doing. And he goes on to say, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, and only way overcomes by the blood of Jesus, Revelations 12, 11, I will give to eat the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, there were three men in the New Testament that referenced heaven as a paradise. Paul, John, and Jesus. And he said, the paradise which is in the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you know, when you go back and you study the beginning of time, there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. This is Genesis 2.9. There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of knowledge and good and of evil. Because of what went down that, that time in the garden with Adam and Eve, paradise was lost. It became very, very bad. And the earth was cursed. But listen right here. You know what God's saying? I'm going to restore paradise to you guys. I'm going to restore paradise. Now, again, just think right now that maybe you're on a vacation that would be the best vacation or the most beautiful place you could ever be. And you have an opportunity to send back a postcard to your loved ones. What would that paradise look like? Would the the postcard be a picture of a snow-capped mountain? Would it be the the waves of the ocean? Would it be a, a stream or a river? Would it be a beautiful waterfall? 
And on that postcard, you sign, suckers. No, I'm just kidding. You don't sign it that way. See, again, we can all have our thoughts of what paradise will be. It won't even be in comparison to what heaven will be. It's going to be paradise, but nothing like we've ever seen or experienced. Go to Revelations 22. Revelations 22. And in this passage here, he's going to get into a deeper place here in heaven. Now, remember, when he talks about heaven, guys, it it was perfect fellowship with the Father. Remember before Adam's sin? Man, he, he fellowshiped with God all day long. That's what he did. Think about this. Even, even before Eve came on the scene and it said man was by himself on the earth that I, I don't know how long it took him, but he named all the animals. Every animal, every species, every different type of fish and bird. That took him a while. And the animals before the fall of man he, he was with them. They were all in the garden. It was paradise. And then when mankind fell, the curse even fell on the animals. So if there is animals in heaven, they're going to be awesome. You're going to get a ride on a piggyback on a bear. I ain't not going to growl at you. not going to try to bite you. Heaven's a perfect place. It's the perfect environment. Now, watch real closely how it's described here in Revelation 22. Begin with me in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. The same water that Jesus referenced to the Samaritan woman in John 4. And he said, the river of water of life, it was clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Now, the river symbolizes the blessing of God. It was a continuous blessing. All the time there's blessing this river. So this tells me here, there's going to be a river in heaven. Crystal clear. Verse 2. And in the middle of its street, there's going to be streets in heaven. Made out of gold. And on either side of the river was the tree of life. Which to me, it suggests abundant life. Everything we'll ever need. Which bore twelve fruits. Twelve varieties, twelve different crops, each tree yielding its fruit every month. You know why these twelve different varieties of trees will yield their fruit every month? Because we're going to eat them every month. We're going to be completely satisfied in heaven. Few of you are excited about the trees. The rest of you can just fast through eternity. The leaves of the tree, and you're going to find out these leaves had purpose and it wasn't for me to rake them or bag them. Thank you, Jesus. To me, that's the curse. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Now listen real close to what this means. This does not mean at all there's going to be sickness in heaven. There is going to be complete restoration in heaven. Everything that we experienced on this earth, all the and this is in the great crap that you experienced, it's going to be healed. I believe our minds are going to be healed. Our hearts are going to be healed. Our emotions are going to be healed. It's going to be the perfect environment. Thank you. 
Verse 4. No, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. What does that mean? You know what the curse is? Poverty, sickness, and death. And you know what he said? There's going to be no more curse. There's never going to be any more kids starving around our world. There's never going to be people in lack again. There's never going to be any more sickness. There's never any more death. Your kids don't have to go to that river and put on floaties. They can't drown. There's no death. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. Come on, let's sing. No, let's not sing. <laughs> Let me keep reading. Verse 4. They shall see his face. And when it says they shall see his face, guys, it's, it's a personal relationship. I mean, Jesus and Father God are going to be there. And we're going to look and say, it's you. It's you. We're going to see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. You know what this symbolizes here? My identification is in Jesus Christ. And my citizenship is in heaven. Forever. Forever. Verse 5. There shall be no night. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Now I know personally as a human being. It's, it's hard for me to grasp. Forever and ever. I mean you think about everything that we're affiliated with on this earth. Is seconds, minutes, hours, days, months and years. And so we get the thought Forever. This is what he said. And so when I read this right here, heaven is no way boring, okay? It's not overrated. Actually, it's underrated. And so again, I believe it's our job to market heaven the way Father God said it would be. And it's a great place. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.